Well, as you notice on the screens, we are going to be in a psalm today because this is a bonus Sunday. Anytime we have five Sundays in a month, that gives us an extra Sunday. Usually we'll take it at the end, but we're going to do it today because of our 10th anniversary. It means we hit pause on whatever series that we've been in. Lately, we've been in Luke, but we'll hit pause on that and we'll jump into a psalm. Now, this is our fourth bonus Sunday, so we will be in Psalm You guys are so bright. I am so proud as a pastor. You got that. We are in Psalm 4. So enjoy this. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So one of the things you'll notice from that is it's really not the perfect psalm for a 10th anniversary celebration. (laughs) It's kind of a unique placement. Uh, But I'll tell you what, here's one of the things about Redemption Chapel. We preach God's Word. Psalm 4 is up. We go with Psalm 4. We don't veer. We don't swerve. We let God speak, not us. And so we do Psalm 4. And I'm really grateful to the Lord for the way in our 10 years of history He has spoken to us Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. We begin our sermons and we pray and we ask, God, would you speak, please? We don't need a man. We need our God. God, would you speak? And then he does. And when he does, don't, don't come. I mean, people come up, great, great sermon. I'm like, did you not hear what I prayed? God, would you speak? And he does. And we are very grateful to him for the way he has spoken throughout these 10 years and So we're going to go right ahead with Psalm 4. And as we get into Psalm 4, one of the things we note is we're not really sure what the occasion is. Uh, This psalm, like many others, has a superscription. That is kind of like a little intro that says uh, what it's about. In this case, it says that it is for the choir master on stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Now, remember, those things, sometimes in your Bible, like editors put in later, like, this is what this section's about. And Okay, that's not this. This is actually Scripture. This was a part of the original hymn. But at the same time, uh, it, uh, some give the occasion. This one doesn't. It doesn't let us know what the occasion is. Now, some speculate because of one little verse in there that maybe there was a time of drought. That's making a lot out of a little. I'm not sure about that. But here's what I know. As David wrote this psalm, he was in a tight spot, and he wrote it for people who are in a tight spot. How do we know that? Look, if you will, at uh, uh, the Psalm 4, verse 1. 
If you look at that middle sentence there, it says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. The Hebrew there could literally be translated as, in a tight corner, you made room for me. In a tight corner, you made room for me. David is in a tight spot. I don't know if you've ever been in a tight spot. Maybe like parallel parking, right? Now, I'm a dude, so I take great pride in my ability to parallel park, right? But it doesn't matter how good you are. Once you're in that spot and you go into the restaurant, you know, like those people who own the cars on either side could drive away. New cars come and they can box you in, right? They go bumper to bumper on the front and the back. You have no room. You are in a tight spot. And it doesn't matter how you maneuver. When you maneuver, it just gets worse when it's that bad, right? And your only hope is that somebody comes out of their dinner, comes and gets in their car, moves it. You have a Savior who comes from the outside that makes room for you. That's your only hope. And that's life for us sometimes, right? Sometimes you're out of work. Or your career's dead end. Or your job's hard. And your boss is hard. And uh, maybe you're in school and classes just aren't going well. And, or you're out of school and you realize you majored in art history. And <laughs> I don't, you know, you're in a tight spot. I don't know. But, uh, there's other things where uh, maybe it's relationships, like friendships go awry, or you're dating and that's just hard, or you got married and that's harder. And you, I mean, if you're married, raise your hand. You're in a tight spot, right? Like, so, so, I mean, it's tough. Life gets tough. Or maybe finances, you're up to your eyeballs in debt or sickness and disease. You're in a tight spot. We get stuck and we, need, we can't maneuver. That's not the solution. We need a Savior, God himself, to come from the outside and make room for us. And so what we need to do in that situation is we need to pray. Look at what David did. Answer me when I call. Or at the end there it says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. That is to call out to the Lord with desperation, with honesty, to be real, to be raw, to just lay it out there before God. And we, we call, whenever we do these psalms, we say psalms, our hearts cry out. Because that's what the psalms are. It's the cry of our heart, just honestly, boldly before God, just laying it out there. What happens when we pray to God like that? Well, for that, we'll look to the body of the psalm, which is verses 2 through 6. Look at this, if you will. You've heard it read to you already, so I won't repeat that. But as you let your eyes glide over that, you'll be able to see things that happen as a result of calling out to God. Let me point out a few. The first one you'll see right off the top is that David knows that God heard him, which is kind of audacious, right? Like to, to pray and say, I know God heard me. How does he know that? Because he says the Lord hears when I called him. That's confidence. That is security. Why does he have it? It's not because you are awesome. It's because God is awesome. And now, of course, it says he set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call. Well, that sounds kind of like I'm godly. I'm awesome, right? God hears me because I'm godly. Let me tell you something about that word godly. The Hebrew word there, is the adjective form of the Hebrew noun, hesed, which is steadfast love. What that means is those who are steadfastly loved by God, God hears them. See, it ain't that you're great. It's that God is. It's not that you're awesome. It's that God is. It's by grace. It's based on his character, not our character. It's that he is awesome, not that we are awesome. And we already got a hint of that in verse 1, where David cried out to the God of my righteousness. 
which means that God is righteous and I am not. In Christianity, <laughs> so yeah, the idea of self-righteous Christianity is just a contradiction in terms. Christianity is all about I am not righteous, God is, and by grace he has done for me what I couldn't do for myself. It's the opposite of self-righteousness. It is God-righteousness. God is my, the source of my righteousness. He's the source of my godliness, and he has given that to me by grace. By grace. It's the gracious love of God, not my character. So you have a choice. You can trust in yourself that you will be the source of your own righteousness, of your own godliness, or God will. You can trust in your awesomeness or God's awesomeness. You can try to maneuver for room in your life or you can cry out to God, God, will you make room for me? Because I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Now, if you go the right direction with that, that you trust in God and God alone, then what results is security in your relationship with God. Because look, if it's based on your ability to maneuver, you're never secure. As you know, you're not that great. I know I'm not that great. But if it's based on who God is, oh, he's great. I'm good. And so there's security. So David knows I can trust that he hears me when I pray. There's security. So he has confidence that God hears him. But now also, if you look up there, you notice he's very honest about his emotions. Right off the bat, it says, how long? How long? Do you ever feel like that before God? God, how long is this going to go on? David's just very real. He's expressing it. He's frustrated. Singing it. This is a congregational song of worship. He's singing about it at church. And then he, it says, be angry. You see about in the middle there? Be angry. That's a command form. How many modern worship and praise songs do you know that command the congregation to be angry at, at church before God? There it is, right there. Be angry. You're singing that. It's so real. It's so honest. Be honest about your emotions. We are bunged up at, at times. Be honest about that. But notice something else. After it says be angry, what does it say? Don't sin. So we are real and we are honest about our emotions, but we do not have to act on them. Right? So we can't blame our emotions for what happens. We, can't, we don't have to be controlled by our emotions. We are actually freed by them. So our emotions explain, but they do not excuse our behavior. We're still on the hook for that. So how, how in the world can we be angry, be honest about, and yet not sin? There's some hints there. Do you see where it says, be silent? Yeah, shut up. Like, think about, like, when you're angry and you speak, things don't go well, right? If you're angry, shut up. You'll sin a whole lot less, right? So be silent. Now, what's that mean? Then we just stuff our emotions so they boil down there and explode? No, he prays. He vents them before God. It's very much venting. He's honestly expressing it before God. So, so shut up, pray, but then ponder. Notice where it says ponder. Ponder in your hearts. Ponder what? The righteousness of God. See, the idea there is that God is righteous and I am not. So a lot of my anger flows from the fact that I think I'm really righteous and you people aren't and you're ticking me off. Oh, wait a minute. I'm, I'm not. I, I, I'm not righteous. God is. That helps. 
Or what about the grace of God? To ponder the grace of God that he has made room for me that I don't deserve. Could I make room for others? Now my anger is starting to dissipate. I ponder that. I ponder my trust is in God, that he, thus he's got me. So I'm not looking for you to take care of me. I expect you to be a mess just like I am. I look to God to take care of me. And so you see the threefold thing there that you shut up, you pray, you ponder. That's how you are angry and yet do not sin. Shut up, pray, and ponder. Now, if we go back to the uh, psalm, you'll see another thing that David does is he trusts in the Lord. Specifically, it says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. What's interesting about that is, yes, we are commanded to participate in spiritual Christian worship sacrifice. Yes, sacrifice. Yes, give. Yes, serve. Yes, grow. But do not trust in that. That's your religious resume. We're not going to go to God and say, God, look what I... No, don't trust. You trust in the Lord. Yes, offer right sacrifices, but trust in the Lord. I've told you over and over, Christianity is not about what we do for God, but about what he has already done for us through his son. We trust in the Lord and him alone. So we sacrifice, but we don't sacrifice in order to be loved. Instead, we are already loved, and therefore we sacrifice out of worship. That's different. That's trusting in the Lord. And then the last thing I'll point out to you from this body of the psalm here, as far as kind of what flows from that time in prayer, uh, we seek his face. It says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. That speaks about the, the face of the father to his child in the midst of a time of pain. I can remember when my daughter Madison broke her leg. She's 17 now, but she was a toddler at the time. You can see a picture of it right here. There's my little girl many years ago. Very common fracture. It's even called the toddler fracture, right? And so she went in. You see she got a cast, and there's her bare bees that went everywhere with her and, of course, obviously went to get a cast with her. So they got a little pink matching cast. So cute. She got that cast. You know what? Before she got the cast, though, she had to get an x-ray. That's part of the process, right? Problem was that my daughter was in incredible pain. And she, she's a little toddler at a hospital. So it's, it's weird, it's scary. She had to go into the x-ray room. You know how they keep those darker? Okay, it's making it worse. Now there's this big scary machine in there and we have to put her up on the table and, and, and it's a cold table. She was wigging out. And she's got to hold still. To and, and so you know what I did? I took her face in my hands. I said, Madison, look at me. Look, look, Madison, Madison, look at me. Look at me. Here I am. I'm right here with you, baby. See my face? I'm here with you. I'm here with you. I love you. And she could see the empathy on my face. She could see the love of a father on my face for my little girl. Now notice something. I didn't make the lights come on. I didn't make the machine go away. We were still in a hospital, and she was still in pain. But she was able to get through it because she had the face of her father. And I think that's what David's talking about right here. God, I'm in a tight spot. And I'm going to be honest with you about it. And I'm going to desperately ask for you to make room for me. I know you've made room for me in heaven. Thank you. I hope you'll make room in this earthly circumstance. I, I know you might, you might not. I don't know. But here's what I have to have, God. I've got to have your face. I've got to see your face, the face of my father, 
empathetically looking on me in love so that I can get through this time, this pain. We seek his face. Now, as we do that, there are some results. And so let me show you the last two verses uh, of Psalm 4. There it is, verses 7 and 8. You can look over that. What you'll notice is two things result, joy and peace. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness is based on what is happening. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is spiritual. Happiness is based on whether or not I have grain and wine abounding. Joy is based on whether or not I have the face of the Father, no matter how much grain or wine I have. See, that is, that is joy. And so in Psalm 4, it's not that everything goes well, and so therefore now my heart is content, but rather it is that my heart is content, and so I'm good now. You feel that difference? That's joy right there. And David gets that. And he not only gets joy, but he also gets peace. Now he gets peace not in the absence of his enemies. That's what we think. We conquer our enemies and, or, or we get rid of our enemies and now we have peace. No, David's enemies are still right there. He has dishonor. He has pain. He has shame. It's all, he's in a tight spot. And yet he has peace. Because for David, peace is not based on the absence of his enemies, but on the presence of his God. And he has peace. He's focused on the face of God. Our problem is that sometimes in our difficulties, we are so faced, we are so focused on our problems, and we are not focused on the face of God. And David is, and so it says that he is able to lie down and sleep. Now, let's be honest, in the midst of pain, we usually lie down, and we don't sleep. David, in the midst of troubles and pain and difficulty, is, he's able to sleep like a baby. It reminded me of a little bit of history. So when, when Mary became queen of England, uh, she attempted to return it from Protestantism to Roman Catholicism. And the way she was going about that was killing a bunch of Christian leaders, specifically by burning them alive at a stake. Uh, and that's what earned her the title Bloody Mary. <laughs> You thought it was all about a drink. You're idiots. It's about history, okay? So, Bloody Mary, that's how she got that title. Now, two that she burned at the stake were Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, two bishops who spoke out for Christ. And some of you have heard the great quote from Latimer to Ridley right when the flames were about to be lit underneath them. He said, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle in England as I hope by God's grace shall never be put out. As they were about to be burned. These, these are guys who have the face of God and they're good. They've got peace right in the midst of it. But part of their story that most people don't know is the night before. So they're imprisoned waiting the dawn of the next day when they will have flames lit underneath them and be burned alive. How would you sleep that night? And so, so Ridley's brother said, hey, I'll stay up all night with you. I'll keep you company. He said, no, I'm good. Sent his brother home. He said he was going to bed and he was going to sleep as soundly that night as he ever had in his whole life. That's a man that has the face of God in the midst of trials. He can lie down and sleep. Burn the next morning, I'm good. Good night. Love it. 
Here is David saying in verse 8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. He's still stuck in a tight spot, but he sleeps well. And I realize sometimes I can be fuming in anger over something going on in my life, and I'm laying in bed, and sleep is eluding me, or, or I can look at the face of God, experience his peace. I can shut up, I can pray, I can ponder, I can seek his face, seek his presence, trust him, and go to sleep. I might not get all I want, but I, I got to remember, Jesus, one thing I tell myself all the time, Jesus is still on his throne. Doesn't matter what's going on in my life, Jesus is still on his throne. He's not surprised. Like the painful trial that came into my life, Jesus didn't go, oh, I did not see that coming. He's not surprised. He's on his throne. I can trust him. He's with me. He's got my face in his hands. I'm looking into his face Now go to sleep. That's peace. See, we have a choice, folks. You can either be tossed here and there by every wave of circumstance in your life. If that's how you want to live, have at it. Or or you can have a life of joy and peace based on the presence of God in your life. That's solid, that's stable, and that's what I want for you. Now, give you one last thought out of this psalm. I began by telling you that maybe uh, this was not the perfect psalm for a 10-year celebration, but you know what? I think it is. I think it's a perfect psalm. It's honest. It's raw. It's real. It's messy. It assumes that our lives are messy. And I'll tell you what, for Redemption Chapel, that's a perfect psalm for our anniversary. In this psalm, we are in distress and we call out to God. Note, this is a song that is intended to be sung in congregational worship. What that is, is a clear indication that God expects messy people to come to church and to sing about their mess publicly. How about that? And the idea there is that we don't get cleaned up to go to church. We go to church to get cleaned up. And, and I've said time to time that at Redemption Chapel, we, we don't think of, of the church as a country club. We think of it, of it as a hospital. You see, you get cleaned up to go to the country club. You go to a hospital to get cleaned up. And so this is a perfect psalm for Redemption Chapel. In fact, that's why we called it Redemption Chapel. It's a bunch of messy, horrible, awful sinners like me who have encountered Christ, experienced redemption, and are being changed by Him. That's why in our logo, the R is crooked. Some of you don't know this. That's very intentional. The R is crooked because so are you. So am I. We're a mess. We're off kilter. But we go to the cross and we experience redemption, and that's what it is all about. If you feel like you don't deserve it, you're dang right. You don't. And neither do I. We're not righteous. He is. And he made room for us out of grace. And so we gather together and we, we just love our Lord. We love his art of redemption that he's worked in our lives. We see him do it in other lives. We stand back and we give him all the awe and all the glory. And he's been doing it for 10 years. And I want to thank him for that right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, thank you for making room for us. At the very least in heaven where we don't... I mean, I, the only thing you owe me, Lord, is hell itself. And yet by grace, you've made room in heaven for me. 
We admit before you that we are a mess and we run to you and we cling to you. You are a great, you are the God of our righteousness. We are not righteous, we are not deserving. We want to seek your face in the midst of our pain. We need your face. We want you to your presence in our lives, that we would focus not on the presence of our enemies, but on the presence of our God. We would have joy and we would have peace. Do that, Lord, please. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.